Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. to walk, we begin to realize the potential of every step. There it is, there it is. We visualize that moment, we internalize that desire, and we mobilize our bodies to take hold of that potential. I know what you may be thinking. What's so incredible about a step? Without steps, we are stuck, paralyzed, crippled by fear, by complacency, by numbness, by the tyranny of the present. Without steps, our muscles become stagnant and our minds become weak. We were created to move. Every time we signal the muscles in our legs to take action, we reject the inertia of insignificance and take hold of our God-given purpose. We were created to make change. When we take steps, the people in our lives are impacted by the momentum. Our next steps enable others to take theirs. So we move as to make change in their lives as well. But there's a war that rages against every step. It's not a war fought weapons or with fists. It's not a war for money or power. It's a war for our very souls. A war to keep us paralyzed instead of passionately pursuing our purpose. It's a war that fights to keep us comfortable, stationary, and off of our feet because our next steps are a threat to the ways of this world. One step taken at just the right time can change the world forever, but we have an enemy who wants us out of the battle and obsessed with ourselves. This enemy lies to us, and he tells us that we don't have it in us to make a difference. He wants us to put our feet up, sit back, and relax, and watch him win the war. But we won't quit moving. So many people spend their lives completely immobilized by the American dream. They use their God-given steps to run away from the battle instead of into it. But we were made to sweat, to push, to feel our hearts beating out of our chests as we run towards something greater than ourselves. We were made to pursue past the breaking point, toward a victory and glory more wonderful than any of us can imagine. We live in a state of spiritual and physical darkness. Depression, divorce, division wreak havoc on our communities. 
We're surrounded by people who have never known the joy of pursuing something greater for themselves. We live in a world motivated by money and personal success rather than the betterment of our fellow man. We were never meant to sit back and watch people destroy themselves. We are here to sacrifice, to give of ourselves, and to lay down our lives like Christ laid down his. For us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we must begin to move our feet and take steps toward becoming more loving, more forgiving, more gracious, more compassionate, more giving, and more merciful. Our muscles will burn. Sometimes we may want to turn back, but we won't stop. Self-sacrifice isn't an idea or an abstract thought. It's a vision for God's church today. So we stretch out our stride and pick up the pace with clear eyes and hearts full of the love of God. What we have is not ours. What we are is not a product of our own will. But we have all been purchased, bought with a price, and assigned infinite value by the infinite one who valued us enough to die. This God is all-loving, completely forgiving, unwavering, unstoppable, uncomparable. This God gives us the power and the heart of a fighter to wage an all-out war against complacency and greed. This is our next step. guys. I am so excited. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here at ACF. and We're so glad that you're here with us today. Everybody online, we love you. Let's give them a hand for being with us as well. And if you're in the lobby or you're standing, we love you too. So I don't think we've ever had this many people in our building. So um, just heads up, just so you know, this week, starting on Wednesday night, we're getting back into Wednesday night church. So we're really excited about that. So uh, just keep an eye on that. Those services will begin. If you uh, are not a morning person, that is definitely the service for you. We talked about launching back into three services on Sunday morning, but uh, we didn't choose to do that to start off, but maybe we will. So anyway, uh, keep an eye out for that. You guys, today is such a huge day. I mean, this is really a massive morning for us as a community, as we take a step forward, as we get back into this space after 16 weeks, 16 weeks of being over at the school. And I just want to thank so many of you for showing up early, coming to school. You showed up, we took away your coffee and you served anyway, and you just kept showing up and making church happen. You guys, and today let's raise a glass to our coffee in the room. Amen, amen. So good. So it's the little things. I know it is. I thought about, I'll tell you, I kind of have new car syndrome with this place. So I thought about just like, you know, let's just get it out of the way. This one's for my homies, right? Let's just start off and get the mess out of the way. Anyway, it's going to happen. Um, so we, we are in, a, in, a, in the beginning of a great journey for us. And, and we are all about next steps as a church. And our goal really is to continue moving forward. As every individual in this room, God has a next step for you. Uh, this morning, it may, may have been just simply to come to church on a Sunday morning, and I know it's hot in here, and just so you know, our next phase of building includes air conditioning. Just, you know, it's, it's okay. We're going to be all right. We got AC is coming. So I know for you, maybe your next step was just showing up to church. Others of you, it may be serving. It may be stepping out in, in a new way today and just stretching your faith. But we also believe that as a community, as a church, we have next steps to take. And so a couple of years ago, we talked about doing this. Uh, just kind of my history a little bit. I'm a, I, I've been a pastor here for 10 years, but five years ago, I stepped into the role as senior pastor or lead pastor here at ACF, and I was terrified. 
terrified of what that would mean, terrified of, um, was I the leader for the job? Would people follow me and our leadership in that season? And we watched so much good stuff happen over the first few years. And then God started leading us to think about what's next for our church. And we felt like he was calling us to do a giving initiative, a giving initiative. We don't call them campaigns. I'm not up here to sell you anything, uh, but we are taking a step forward. And so um, I felt like God was calling us to that. And my first thought was, not a chance, God. No way. Like things are going too well for us to uh, possibly hurt the church by doing a giving, giving campaign, giving initiative. And so I really resisted it. Um, some of you have come from church backgrounds where you saw a giving initiative or campaign end up leading uh, the church sort of into the ground. Um, others of you are new to church or new believers. And for you, when, when it comes to money, you're very uncomfortable with it. You've seen churches abuse and misuse money before. And so you're already, when you saw that, that, that brochure on your seat, you're like looking for the exit, right? Because you're just really uncomfortable with that. I totally understand that. But I really resisted it. And, and a friend of mine who's a, a mentor to me, he said, Brian, you know what? I've seen it before. He said, I think that a giving initiative can lead to the healthiest, most life-giving season your church has ever seen. And I was like, nice wish. Nice wish. But that's not reality. That's not what I've seen. And I am here to stand before you to say that we have had the most life-giving, healthy last two years in the entire life, I think, of ACF Church. We have seen more people be baptized, more people give their lives to Jesus, more people engage in ACF groups than the entire life of ACF Church. On on the the realm of our, our generosity and our giving, do you know that over the past two years, our giving has actually gone up by 100%. I mean, come on. That's awesome, right? That is so good. That's a massive increase over the past couple of years. And so to see what God does when we're faithful, I want you to know that you guys are building my faith. I mean, you might come here and be like, Brian, you know, share a sermon, encourage me. I'm going through some hard things right now. But you just need to know that you guys are an encouragement to me, that you have built my faith in the church and that I have gone through my season, I believe, of being de-churched and really frustrated with the local body of believers. And through you, through this community, my faith in God's people has grown and my love for his church has grown. And, and although, listen, there are no perfect churches and there are no perfect people, but we do continue forward on mission and I am just, I'm just honored to be with you on this, this journey. Today, as we step forward, today is called Base Camp. And you've heard us use the language over the past few months of Base Camp that this building is a base camp for our Acts 1-8 mission. And if you're brand new, we've been walking through the book of Acts and, and journeying through this story of the early church, really our story, the beginnings of the church that we are still part of today. And, and so we've been on a journey with that and we've been talking about how this building, this place right here on Brooks Loop is actually sort of a base camp for what God wants to do through us. If you're a hunter, if you're somebody who loves to camp and just be out in the woods, I know September's coming, I'm excited about moose hunting, but you know that one of the first things that you do is you set up a base camp. You get a tent set up, you you get some dry wood ready, you make sure that when you are out and you're venturing around the countryside that you've got a safe place to come back to because the weather might turn, you may get injured, something might go wrong and you need a place to come back to get healed up. Also, you just need rest and you need sleep. We all need that. And that's a place to rest and renew yourself. And I want you to tell you that this building is the same thing. A base camp is a location used to refresh and refuel people so that they are ready and equipped to take their next steps. 
And that's what we are doing here. That's why this building matters so much to us. We know it's just brick and mortar. We know it's just a building. But it's also a place that we can use as a resource to launch ourselves out into the kingdom work that God has for us. Acts 1.8 says this. It says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what you need to know about ACF Next Step is that ACF Next Step goes beyond a building. It's so much bigger than a, it's not just a building campaign or a a giving initiative. It actually goes beyond that into our Acts 1-8 mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the the earth. And so what I want to challenge you to is over the next month, would you consider to coming back every week? Would you consider coming back to ACF, bringing a friend, and being here every single week? Each week's going to build on the previous week because I can't share it all today. I'd love to just kind of lay it all out for you, but you guys would pass out uh, way before I could get done. And so we've got a lot to talk about. It's going to happen over the next month. And if you're new, know this. You're going to hear a lot about what God is doing in our church. You're going to hear about what we feel the church is meant to be and get an idea of what our vision is as a community. And so I want to continue talking about this in a second, but the first thing I want to do in this building is I want to set it apart. There's sort of a churchy word used for set apart, and it's just to consecrate. And we consecrate a lot of things, like we do baby consecrations, have them up here, we pray for the parents and the children. We say we want God to set them apart for a mighty work, right? And so what we want to do is set this building and this space apart for the work that God has for us. So I want you to do something. Would you stand up? Everybody in the room, stand up for me. We're going to pray together. And over generations, really thousands of years, God's people have signified their surrender to him by physically showing that through one thing, through raising their hands. And so as a community, whether you're a a new believer or you've been around the church forever and this is maybe stretching you, wherever you're at today, would you around the room, would you lift your hands and surrender this church to God? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this building. God, thank you so much for the people that we see around us. God, we pray for Eagle River. We pray for the city that we find ourselves in. God, we recognize the darkness and the need for the gospel to be shared. God, we know that we don't have it in us on our own to do the work that you've called us to. We need the empowerment of your spirit. God, so Holy Spirit, we, we pray you'd fall upon this place. God, you'd fall upon us. God, you pray you'd give us vision beyond ourselves. God, we pray that you give us a drive and an energy to do things that are beyond our own dreams and our own visions and for your kingdom to be the driving force behind our lives. Jesus, we need you to give us purpose. God, we know that in the end, the only thing that will remain will be our investment in your kingdom, God. So we just surrender this building to you. God, we surrender this property to you. God, we leave it in your hands and ask that you would guide us and that we can be faithful to your call to reach our city with our Acts 1-8 mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth that we live in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, it's good. So good. So if you're wondering kind of what's left, as you're looking around, you're going, okay, so Brian, we had an earthquake. There was a bunch of sheetrock damage. Uh, Looks like you fixed that, which we did. We did. But as you can see tomorrow, look around. Uh, or t- tomorrow, t- right now. You don't have to come back tomorrow. You can see it right now. Look around. You're going to see that every square inch of this room is being used. This is how we plan to utilize this space. And so what we need is something we would call a living room. And so most of you, you have a living room in your home. I know for me, our living room is the place that relationships are fostered. 
It's a place that we sit down as a family and play board games. It's where my wife and I would do marriage counseling with a couple who's struggling. It's where we would laugh together and cry together. It's where a lot of great things happen in our lives. And so the way that we have designed this building at this point, come uh, January, we don't have a living room because it's going to be very cold outside and we're not going to be able to set all of our stuff out there. And so what we believe God is calling us to do is to build a lobby off the front of this building. And this lobby is going to be our living room. It's going to be a place that relationships are fostered, a place that we can get together, that we can uh, take our next steps together, a place to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a friend or with someone who's a mentor. And and you guys know in Alaska, indoor space is at a premium, especially in the wintertime. And so this will be the final phase of building here on Brooks Loop. Just in case you're wondering, like, how more can they add onto this building? Like, we can't. That will be the end of it. That's all we can do on this particular building. And with that last phase of building on Brooks Loop, We'll be uh, also finishing off the parking. If maybe you've seen that that's a little rough. We've got a, a pothole over here that you could lose a Honda Civic in. Um, it's just, there's some issues. Even after the earthquake, it's cracked out pretty bad. And so um, this will be the finishing off of this property. The goal is to make the outside of this building look somewhat like the inside. Um, you know, you come in and you're kind of surprised. Like, this actually looks pretty good in here. Um, we don't want people to be surprised when they come inside our building. Uh, your friends and your neighbors drive by this place every day. And uh, we'd love to just kind of put our best foot forward. And, and, and again, this is all about the people who are yet to come. And I want on your seat, you might have seen a little bracelet. Would you pull that out? And uh, if you would put it on, I'm, we're going to be wearing our bracelets this month. And the bracelet says, for those yet to come. And if you're watching online and you, you can't get one, you can come to the office anytime. We'll give you this stuff. Um, but this is really our theme. And this whole month, as we are in a training month, praying together about what's next for our church, we want to keep our eyes on the mission. So look me in the eye. We did not build this building to make us comfortable. We built it for those who are yet to come. We built it for our friends. We built it for our neighbors. We built it for those in this city who do not yet understand that Jesus loves them. That's why we built this building. And so I want us to keep that as our focus. I want you to keep that as the driving force behind all of this, everything that we do. Like why would a church, why would all of you think, even think about being generous and giving of your hard-earned resources to help build a building? To me, the only thing that makes sense is love. The only thing that makes sense is that you have something or someone in your heart that would drive you to be willing to sacrifice and to give of yourself for them. I mean, really, isn't that the only thing that causes us to really give of ourselves? I mean, really, aren't aren't people, people really are, in the end, all that we realize that matters in this world. And, And as I think about myself, I think there are people who loved me that way. There are people who loved me and saw something in me way before I saw anything in myself. In fact, Romans 5.8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, say it with me, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were rebels against God, while we rejected him and even ridiculed him or Christianity in general, Christ died for us. 
Um, so one of the things that I get to brag about is that when I was a teenager, I used to get kicked out of church all the time. Um, you can get kicked out of a lot of places, but I think you get a special seat in heaven when you get kicked out of church. And so as a teenager, I was just, I was always trouble. I, everywhere I went, you know, I was disruptive. I was loud. I didn't want to listen. I was extremely arrogant. And church, my church setting was no different. I would come in and be a disruption. And, and I just remember my pastors looking at me going, Brian, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'd push them and I'd push them and I'd push them. And finally, they'd be like, dude, you got to, you can't, you're disrupting everything. You got to go outside. And so I remember multiple times getting kicked out of church, specifically by um, my youth pastor, Matt, if you're watching, I love you. Thanks for putting up with me. Um, My youth pastor, Matt, I just remember him investing so much in me. And there was something about the way that he invested in me and even, even disciplined me that always left me realizing that he loved me. I mean, isn't that the best when somebody loves you so much that they're willing to push and challenge you and and, and even discipline you. But in the end of the day, you know, man, they just love you. So I just remember him like putting his arm around me as he walks me out the door, right? And and just like spending time with me and, and, and in these conversations together, we would realize so many things about what was driving me and why I was so disruptive. And, and so I remember hours and hours spent with, with him and, and, and many other people that invested in my, my life. And it was something powerful about that because there was nothing from the outside about me that would make sense about him investing in me. It didn't make sense that he as a pastor would use his time to invest in me because it looked like I was just a mess. I wanted nothing to do uh, with church. But he saw something in me. He gave of himself. He sacrificed for somebody who would then grow into somebody who just loves the church and loves God. And so I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for the others. Who was it in your life? I bet you can name one person that thought of you, that saw something in you that you didn't see within yourself. You guys, this is the gospel played out in front of us all the time. Every time you love somebody, every time you sacrifice somebody, or for, not sacrifice somebody, sacrifice for somebody, (laughs) that's different. It's a different kind of love. Every time you sacrifice for somebody, you show love to them, and, and, and people have loved us in the same way. One thing I love about this, this verse, verse eight says, but God shows his love for us. Listen to this. Jesus shows his love. He doesn't prove it. Don't you think about that? Jesus shows his love. He doesn't prove it. What I'm not asking you to do over the course of this next month is to prove your love for God by giving money. I'm not asking you to do that. Because honestly, here's the thing about proving is that when we're out to prove something, there are always limitations, Right? There are limitations to what we will do to prove something, but we will do anything to show something. What I mean by that is if we love our children, we will do anything for our children. But if we're simply trying to prove something to our children, we will draw limits on what we will do for them. Is that right? The same is true with God. When we love God, we will do anything for him to be part of what he is passionate about. And at the same time, if we're just simply out to prove something, to prove that, oh, no, I'm a good religious person, I'm a good church person, then we will always put limitations on what we do. What you need to know is that we are taking a big next step. And this next step will not happen if a bunch of people are trying to prove something. I mean, we as a church, we as individuals, we have nothing to prove. That is not the goal. The goal is to look inside of our hearts and test our love for God. And and so what I'm really doing over the course of the next four weeks is not so much simply asking you about money, although that's part of the conversation. I want you to inspect your love for God and ask yourself the question, is it genuine? Is my love for God real? 
Do I go to church to prove something or do I go to church to show something? Do I lift my hands to prove something or do I lift my hands to show something? There is a massive difference between people who try to prove things, also known as religious people, and people who try to show things, which are people who are called disciples, who would do things like what Paul did, which is just give up his life, do whatever he could for the mission of the kingdom of God. So Jesus, when he died, know this, he didn't die to make a point. He didn't die to prove something. He died because he loved us and continues to love us. And so know this, as we uh, seek to finish this campus, as we seek to finish this project, that finishing our base camp won't be a monument to our love, but a visible response to God's. We don't need to build a monument to our love. The city doesn't need to know so much that ACF loves them, although that's a start. The city really needs to know that God loves them. And so we love them so that they might see that God loves them. That's why we do everything that we do. I love that this building has life in it. I love that when people are driving by, I can see cars going by right now. And people drive by this church and they're on doing their thing. They're not interested maybe in church today. They see that there is life in this building. And I just want you to know, even by coming to church every week, you get to be a witness to the reality that Jesus is alive and active in the world today. And he is at work in our lives, and he is here, and he wants to change the lives of people in our city. You might not know that every single week there are people here who have their lives changed. Every single week we see people make commitments to follow Jesus for the first time. We see people sign up to get baptized. We see people people taking their next steps and getting into an ACF group, getting people around them and a community to love them. And so one of those stories I just love, check out Mia's story. Hi, my name is Mia Nicole. Um, I work for the Anchorage Fire Department Training Division, and I've been going to ACF for about 19 months now. 2018, I was attending another church locally, and after service one um, Sunday, my husband at the time looked at me and smiled and said that he was seeing someone else. I remember feeling heartbroken, um, obviously really upset. I physically was unable to go back um, to the church. Um, I was just so sick. And I remember just the overwhelming pain that I felt of how is it gonna get through this? So when I came to ACF, I had visited a few other churches. I had actually came to ACF because someone told me that they were doing free oil changes here. I came to a service, um, myself and both my daughters, and um, the first service we attended, it felt good. I definitely it was very cautious, very guarded, but a part of me could also see myself like coming back. I remember sitting there at church and the preacher was preaching and um, just tears coming down, um, and just standing there, not moving, because uh, I just... I just needed to hear it. I just needed to hear someone. Basically, the words were just someone just kind of like giving me a hug. And um, one of the series, the beginning series that I attended was talking about how the pain of our past has a purpose for our future. And that was really hard for me to swallow, but I was trying to trying to get on board with it. When I decided that I would start attending a little bit more regularly, again, I was kind of always like coming in late and leaving as early as possible. We'd been attending for about five months and 
I was just so cautious with myself, um, so cautious with relationships. I just really kept people so distant. But I decided um, that I would um, go and check out um, the small groups. Part of me really didn't want to do the small group, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, Lord, I just, I didn't want the relationship. I didn't want the connection. I didn't want to meet people and mingle. But I also felt that God was talking with me of, I hear your prayers. If you just follow me, if you just listen, I have something for you. But I remember sitting in this living room and being with these women who were from all different parts of church and in life. They were um, older, younger, married, unmarried, um, divorced. And I remember just hearing some of their stories and recognizing for a few of them that we had some similar pains. And being with a group of women who we could laugh together, we could hear each other's pains, we could pray together. It was right where I needed to be. It was so healing. <laughs> it was so healing for me. When Wendy opened up her home for both me and my kids and to all of those ladies there, it was the beginning of me letting down my guard and opening up my heart so that I don't know, that I could just be able to receive as opposed to just just pushing away everything. It just meant so much to me to build relationships and community with, with ACF in that manner. My name is Mia, and that's why I need church. Doesn't that make it worth it? <clears throat> Does that make it worth it? I'm telling you, so when we talked about doing this, um, we made the decision to continue building out this facility. And uh, I remember going home that night and talking to Amanda. And I just said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Because guess what that means? I said, I said I'm tired. And... Um, as a, as a lead pastor, if you're going to do a giving campaign, guess what that means? That you get to be the lead giver, right? And so I was, and I've been very open before that I tend to trust in my money. I tend to feel like finances give me safety and security. I tend to buy that lie. And, and I love that God gave me a woman who's on the other end of the spectrum. She would give our house away if I'd let her. I mean, and it's just awesome. And so I love that we had to work through it. I just want you to know. That if you're uncomfortable or you're like, man, I'm tired, I'm tired, I, I want you to know that's okay. And that there's room for that. And that we're to just simply bring all of that before God and say, God, what would you have us do? What, I, what would you have us do? And, and, I, and I watch a, a story like Mia's story. And some of you are like, I have no idea who she is. Probably many of you don't know who she is. But she is around you. And she's had her life transformed by what's happening here in this place. And for me, if we did nothing else, that would be worth it. If we did nothing else, that would make it all worth it. Because in the end, that will last. Amen? The, the story of Mia's life will last so much more than the things that we tend to invest in will last. And so you need to know this. Even up to this point, we are in this building here today, and we've finished this phase of ACF Next Step because you have already chosen to do this. Because so many of you have already chosen to step out in faith. And you're here today and you get to watch Mia's story, and you get to say, I was a part of that. 
You need to know this as you invest in ACF and you invest in our uh, Acts 1-8 mission that for the rest of your life, you get to be part of every life that is transformed through this space. For the rest of your life, you get to say, I, you know, maybe I struggled with what I was doing. Maybe I, I'm not so sure if I'm doing the right thing in my life or, or following Jesus in certain ways. But what I do know is that I invested in a ministry and I saw lives be transformed through my investment. And so I get to take joy in that. I mean, really over the next four weeks, we're going to be asking you to draw a line within yourself and, and kind of go, am I part of this family or am I a spectator to what's happening here at ACF? And you're going to have to decide, do I love what God is doing in this community? Do I love what God loves? Or am I simply watching what God is doing, what others are doing? And so you're going to have to decide that. But if you are tired, if you're worn out, if you're like, I don't know what I think, know this, it's okay. Just bring that before God. But what I want you to do is ask yourself, is my love for God genuine? I want you to really dig deep. Is my love for God genuine? Because I actually believe that if, if our love for God is genuine, we will begin to align our ambitions with his affections. The things that we will be am- ambitious about, motivated for, waking up dreaming about will be the things that God is most passionate about. That's what it means to love someone, isn't it? Uh, my wonderful wife just turned 40, which she loves that I shared that today. Um, and, and she had a birthday party. We, we planned a surprise birthday uh, party for her. She is an Alabama graduate, and uh, she ran cross-country for the University of Alabama. And uh, she just loves the school. It's, I mean, football is religion in Alabama. It is religion in the South. And so she loves Alabama football. So what do we do? We did an Alabama football-themed tailgate party 40th birthday. I mean, it was awesome. And she was just lit up. She was excited, fired up. Here's what you need to know about me. I don't care about football. I just don't. I'm going to own it. I know I lost some man points from some of you. Uh, but my wife will talk your ear off about football. I just nod my head and try to act like I She's actually trained me, given me some lingo over the years so I don't embarrass her too bad. Um, but she is the football fan. But what I learned when I got married to her is that guess what? Guess what I love now? Football in Alabama. Right? I, I, and that's what, I, that's what I learned is that, you know, like to love my wife means to start to love what she loves. And so we've gone to an Alabama game. I've got the t-shirt. We watch the games together and I scream and I just scream when she screams, right? Hey, uh, hey, I just kind of follow her lead, right? And because I love what she loves, it's what we do. And it's really what it means to love God as we align our ambitions with his affections, And so what I want you to do is ask yourself this question. How do we know that the love of God is in us? It might seem like a really basic question, but it's maybe the most important question to be asked, isn't it? And how do you really know today if the love of God is in you? I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 16. Uh, We are continuing through the book of Acts for the next four weeks, and so we'll be coming back to that if you've been reading along. Here's what I love. I've had some of you come up to me and say, Brian, I have never consistently read the Bible in my life. But for the past 16 weeks, as we've uh, been at the school, and even during this series through the book of Acts, I've been reading my Bible consistently, which to me, I'm like, you know how to make a pastor get excited. Just tell him you're reading your Bible, okay? So I mean, I'm just fired up about this. But at this point in the story, this this is the story of us, right? This is the story of the church and how it began, written by this man named Luke. And at this point, we see Paul, who's uh, traveling around on his missionary journeys, and he is actually recruiting this young man named Timothy. And uh, one of the verses that often comes to mind when I think of Timothy is the verse that says, where, where Paul is speaking to Timothy and says, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. 
If you're young here today, please uh, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I mean, the, the, the size of your mission, the size of the way that God wants to use you has nothing to do with your age. And so Paul speaks to Timothy and says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And, and Paul rises him up as a leader in the church, even as a, as a young man. And so we see this moment where he's recruiting him into the ministry. And here we are um, in verse 1. It says, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek He was well-spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay, so here you go. Timothy is encouraged by Paul to join him in ministry and join him on his missionary journeys. And so you've got this young man who's a disciple, who's learning about Jesus, who wants to be on mission for for Jesus. He's excited about it. And Paul's like, awesome, Timothy. I'm glad you want to be in ministry. There's only one thing you have to do. Can you imagine? This this verse gets skipped over, really. And I just kind of brushed over, and I came back, and I was like, there's more to this story, right? There has to be a dialogue, you know, that, that, that went on there where Timothy was like, Oh, man, I, I got to pray about that, right? I got I to pray a little bit more about ministry. I'm not so sure God is calling me to, I mean, because I was going to give up my time. I was going to do a little traveling, right? I was going to see some sights, but come on, Paul, like circumcision, right? And so for, if you're new to church and you're like, this is weird, it is a little weird. I get it. I get that it's weird. But circumcision was, was something that, um, that God had used as a symbol of his chosen people, and so is this sign that on the eighth day, a Jewish boy would be circumcised. It would be a sign that he was of God's chosen people. He was of Jewish heritage, right? And so you've got Paul, who wants to do ministry, as we've learned over the past few weeks. He, his call is first to the Jews, right? So what Paul would do is he would come into a city. He would look for a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. He would set up shop there because he was really a Jew of Jews, somebody who understood all of the, the theological background and connected to Jesus, right? So he would preach in the synagogues to the Jews, and then they would, many of them, come to be Christians, come to believe in Jesus. And so then he's going to recruit this young man, Timothy, and there's only one problem. People are going to know that he's not from a Jewish background, and before they ever open their mouths, they're going to write them off, Right? So this was really uh, Paul and Timothy making some very difficult decisions so that they might not hamstring the ministry God would call them to, right? And so they had this conversation, and, and, and the crazy thing is, Timothy goes through with it, right? Timothy goes through with this. And, and I just, I was thinking, man, what are the things that I would not do for, for Jesus, right? I mean, this is, this is one of those, it's like, wow, this is a challenging thing, what Timothy and, and Paul were willing to do to move their ministry forward. And you might be thinking, practically, how would anybody know, right? Valid question, valid question. How's anybody going to find out? Well, so here's what you need to know is that um, I've actually been to Ephesus, and I've been able to go into the bathrooms of Ephesus, and what they had were public restrooms, Right? These these are very public places. It's not as private. You don't get the little dividers like what we have in in the men's bathroom now, right? It's a very public room. So guess what? Word would get out. People would know, right? 
somebody would notice. That, 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 would, just, that would just happen. And, and as word would get out, they would find out, oh, Timothy isn't really somebody that we want to listen to. He's not from the, back, the right background. He doesn't have the right heritage to speak into our lives. And so because they didn't put restrictions... On, on, on God, because they didn't put restrictions on God, they didn't put restrictions on the ministry God wanted to do through them. And so one of the things we see when the love of God is in us is that we'll remove restrictions. We'll walk through our life and go, what are the things that we've said, okay, God, I'm gonna limit you here. Like, here's, here's what I'm willing to do for you. There's, there's a limitation. And we'll, we'll approach those things, pray about those things, and we'll remove those restrictions, just like Timothy did in this moment. So they then travel a couple of hundred miles on foot. This is how committed they were to the mission. A couple hundred miles on foot. They then get on a boat and sail to Philippi. And when they get to Philippi, they realize there is no synagogue. Which Timothy's got to be like, then what did I just do that for, right? Like he's got to be wondering, come on, Paul. I thought we were going to the synagogues. There's no synagogue. Like, can I get a take back on this whole thing? But they get there. There's no synagogue, but they run into this woman named Lydia. This is verse verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman, or to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The second thing we really see in this, if we have the love of God inside of us, is that we'll begin to use our hands to serve what's in our hearts. Whatever is in our hands, whether it be little or it be much, we begin to utilize and use that to serve what's in our hearts. So this woman, Lydia, she, it says that she uh, was a worshiper, worshiper of, a God, uh, of God. Another translation says that she uh, was a God-fearing woman. In other words, she had sort of an understanding of who God was, had maybe been around this kind of Jewish culture and learned some things about, about the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. But, but, but then she wasn't a Christian yet. She wasn't a Christian, but then it says that when Paul preached, God gave her the ability to, to hear it. God gave her the attention span to focus on it. And I just want you to know, some of you, you're like, I'm hot, Brian. I've got no attention span left. I understand that. But in this moment, God gave her the attention span she needed to hear the things she needed to hear so that her heart might be transformed. And so he does that. Her heart is is transformed. And the first thing she says is, what can I do with what I have to serve the mission of the kingdom of God? What can I do with what I have to serve the mission? So she's selling purple goods, which means that she actually is a businesswoman. She's got some money and some resources. Uh, she's a fast fashionista is what she is. She's making clothing for, you know, the runway models of the day, right? And she's got her own little Pinterest store where she's selling all these really nice clothes. So this is what Lydia is doing. And she says, okay, because of all that, I've made some money and I've got this house. She said, I have got this house, Paul. Would you begin to use this house as a base camp for your ministry in, in Philippi? So do you see that? So Paul is traveling around going, we need a base camp for ministry. We need a base camp for ministry. And then Lydia says, come use my house. And it says that she prevailed upon them. In other words, she wouldn't take no for an answer. 
I'd imagine a conversation sort of maybe like what you've had before over um, the check at, a di- at dinner at a restaurant, right? Where somebody's like, I'll pay for the meal. No, I'll pay for the meal. For Lydia, she was like, no, you will meet in my house, right? You will set up shop in my house. You will use what I have for the sake of the kingdom. She was so grateful for what God had done in her heart that she began to use what was in her hands to serve what was inside of her heart. So she's, she's baptized. Her whole family's baptized. And they continue on. It continues on where they, as they travel around, they run across this, this little girl. And if you read the story um, of, uh, in, in chapter 16, this is a little girl that has this demonic spirit inside of her. And through this demonic spirit, she's able to actually um, speak things to people that people will pay money for. And so these guys have actually taken her as like, like a slave to them, and they're using her to make money and, and just to kind of speak into people's lives. And so, and so it, Paul sees this little girl, heals this little girl, exercises the demon from her, and because of that, now she can't make them any more money, and this makes them angry. And so because of that, they take Paul and Silas, put them in jail. It says first they, they, they flog them, which is not just a mild beating. This is like they tore their backs open. They beat them, they flogged them, they put them in chains, and they went to jail. And as they're in prison, as they are bleeding from their backs, do you guys remember what they started doing? That's right, they started to sing. Uh, I mean, I'm, this doesn't make any sense, right? The least logical thing that you would ever do in a moment of this kind of hopelessness would be, hey, let's worship Jesus right now, right? Let's do a little church service right now. Can we get a little bit of music in the background, light some candles? Like, let's do some church. For most of us, in a situation like that, uh, we would be tempted to curse God, not to praise him. And Paul here um, and Silas, they find themselves in prison, praising and worshiping God And in verse 26, it says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Hello, Alaska, right? There was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Isn't that cool? Earthquake. All of a sudden, people's bonds are unfastened. It's just like ministry in Alaska. Continue on. Verse 29. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. There's a lot that just happened. Imagine this man inflicting wounds upon these men and then putting them in jail. And then his, his one job, he has one job. It's to keep them in chains. An earthquake hits, their chains are released. They come out of jail and he says on his knees, what am I going to do to be saved? How can I be saved? Here's what he knew. He was suicidal at this point. Because he knew that if he were caught letting these guys free, that he would probably be killed for that. And so he looks at Paul, looks at Silas. Clearly there's some kind of supernatural power going on here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Understand this, when he says saved, he doesn't mean how do I get to heaven when I die? 
How do I not burn in hell when I die? He's not asking that. He's literally saying, I am in a mess I don't know how to get out of. And some of you are that way this morning. Like, you haven't heard a word that I've said today because you are so distracted by the, the marriage issue that you're dealing with or the work situation that you're dealing with, or the financial issue. You're like so ironic talking about money in church because like I don't have any, right? And so you're dealing with that today. You're you're going through all kinds of different things. And I love that Paul's answer, because Paul knew what he meant when he said, how could I be saved? And he didn't say, well, here's our escape plan. Here's how we're gonna get out of this building. No, he said, Jesus is the answer. And I just want you to know, whatever you are in need of saving from today, that Jesus really is the answer to all of your questions, to everything that you're looking for. And they preach the gospel to this man and then his heart is transformed. What's the first thing he does? Gets baptized. We'll be doing baptisms again soon. Know this, guys, it's the first step throughout the book of Acts. People just, they get saved, they get baptized. It's not like, well, let me wait till the weather's nicer outside. No, they just get baptized. It's the very first thing they do. So he gets baptized and then you see this, this moment. And we don't get a whole lot of details, but I can imagine him on his knees cleaning the wounds of Paul that he possibly had inflicted. I mean, talk about hitting your pride hard, right? I mean, cleaning wounds that he, can you imagine that? Probably tears streaming down his face. He's been part of putting these guys in prison, part of the system that has led to their beating. And yet here he is being transformed by the gospel, probably tears running down his face, cleaning the wounds of Paul. Some of you have been there before. Some of you have found yourself trying to clean the wounds of somebody else from the words that you spoke, from the decision that you made, from the advice that you gave, which was not good advice. And yet in this moment, you just see grace poured out on this man. And so one of the signs that the love of God is in us, I'm gonna give you kind of two things in this last one, is that we will kill our pride and we'll throw great parties. I truly believe this, that Christians should should throw the best parties. Like we really should. Do you guys know that as followers of Jesus, we always have a reason to celebrate? We always have something to, to celebrate about. And so you see this man, he, he, he kills his pride. He's washing the wounds of Paul. And then he's like, let's celebrate. Even in all of the distress, in all of what's going to come after this, I mean, the tension wasn't, wasn't over at this point. It was just beginning. Paul and Silas were out. I mean, he had to be concerned about what was next for his own life. But at the same time, he was celebrating. And you can't help but notice Paul and Silas as well, right? As they worship in prison, in chains, in the times where they probably didn't feel like it, right? They probably didn't feel like worshiping. Do you guys know their worship became their witness? Their worship was the thing that ultimately led to their release, which ultimately led to the, to the, to the, the, the jailer giving his life to Jesus. You need to know this. We, ACF Church, we seek to be a worshiping church. And we want to worship not when we feel it, but it's actually most important that you worship when you don't feel it. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't feel it, Brian. Because here's what, sometimes I feel like we should do like a camera shot of the crowd here. Like you ever been to a baseball game with a jumbotron, right? Because some of you like during worship, let me just tell you, you got some looks on your faces. I, I was a worship leader for years. And so the worship team, they get to see it all. Some of you, like you got this look like you just maybe opened a gallon of milk that was a couple weeks old. Like that's the look that's on your face during church, right? And here we are, we're gathered together and there's worship music going and stuff. And I get it, you are maybe distracted. There's something else going on. You're not feeling it today. Paul and Silas, they didn't feel it. As their backs bled, they gave praise to God because God is always faithful. 
And I just want you today, can I push you on this? Can I push you? We will be a worshiping church as we move forward. I really believe that God, God is calling us to be a worshiping church. And I, I feel strongly about this. I mean, it's for some of us, when we don't open our mouths and sing as believers in Jesus, it's a downright act of disobedience to God. It's not about you feeling it. In fact, as you, as you understand worship from a biblical perspective, worship was almost always painful. So it's never about the right song, the right mood, even about the band killing it, which they kill it. I love those guys. They do so good. But they don't have to, right? Because we're here for Jesus. We're here to worship the God who is faithful to us. And so I want to push you on this. Be a worshiper. Open your mouth, even when you're not feeling it. Be somebody who's willing to just kill your pride and celebrate the goodness of God. Look at me, listen. If we're not gonna be a worshiping church, may God give this building to people who will. Let's be a worshiping church. Let's be people who understand God's faithfulness to us. And not just even in song, with our lives, right? We leave here and we've got a life to live. And in every moment of our day, we make decisions whether or not we will honor God or reject him. And so I'm calling you, I'm calling you out today to just inspect your heart and see, is your heart true? Like, do you really have the love of God in your heart? And then to celebrate him, to throw a great party, to honor God in your life. So a few things here as we move forward in the next few weeks, I want you to engage yourself, okay? Consider getting on this journey, as Pastor Josh talked about. We're going on a journey together. 6.30 a.m. tomorrow morning, right here. And I know for some, yeah, somebody's excited about that. Praise the Lord. That's right, it's me and you. It's me and you. We're going to be here. 6.30 a.m. I don't know if anybody here would say that you pray enough. Anybody? You're like, I pray plenty. I'm I'm good on my prayer. It's okay. That's good. So no hands. Um, This is a time for us to do this together. It's a bit of accountability because we're already planning it together. And so you got to get in your car. You got to go do it, right? Don't just try to do it in your living room alone. The whole point is doing this as a community and praying together. We're going to be right on time. So I know some of you, you got PT to go to. You got uh, school to go to. You've got um, kids to take care of. I totally get that. But I want you to be inconvenienced for this. Like, be willing to be inconvenienced so that you can gather with people and pray. I just, I'm excited about it. I think God's going to do amazing things. So, so much beyond what's going on here. Like, I think the breakthrough that's coming for our church goes way beyond a building. And way beyond even, even the mission that we have as a community. I think it goes right into your life. And so join with us in that. And then have a conversation this week with a friend. Don't do this alone. You need some accountability, right? When it's uh, fasting food day and you want that double cheeseburger... You need somebody to text and be like, bro, I'm going to blow this. Help me out. So sit down with with somebody over coffee this week. Ask a few questions. Ask them these questions. First, ask, what does having a base camp mean to you? Like, what is this really about? Do you understand what this is? Why do we want a base camp? What's the purpose in this, right? Should we just give all our money away? Like, why would we want to invest in a building? What's the point of that? It's a good conversation, good question. How about this? How will you begin to align your ambitions more towards God's affections? Like, what is he actually practically calling you to do? And it may be ambitious, (laughs) and it may scare you. Honestly, listen, if, if your next step here doesn't scare you, it's probably not the right next step. I really feel like God is calling us to something that's, that's a little scary for us. 
So if you're scared, you're in a good place. The last question is this. What excites you about the vision of ACF Church? I mean, is there something about this whole thing that just ignites your heart on fire? Because I love hearing those stories. Every one of you who's been around here for a little while, you have a reason that you're here. You have a reason that you continue coming back. You have a reason that you would invest in God's work here. So listen, I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm excited for what's to come. I believe that God's gonna break down some walls over the next month. So would you stand up? I wanna pray for us. We'll sing one more song and send you out of here. God, we, uh, we just confess that many times, God, we dream about things that have nothing to do with your kingdom. And we invest our lives into things that are temporary instead of the eternal God. And so we ask for your guidance. Father, first, would you kill our pride? Keep us from trusting within ourselves and help us to trust you. And God, I pray that today for all of us that we would remember those who have loved us enough to think of us, who've invested in us for many, many years. God, who saw something in us that we couldn't see inside of ourselves. God, may we do the same for others. I pray for every individual in this room. God, give us names. Give us people. Give us individuals that we live around every single day, God, that you are calling us to maybe just invite to church or invite to coffee and to begin to take the conversation to a deeper level. And God, we pray over our Acts 1-8 mission as we move forward over the next month. God, that you would give us all clarity for what our part is to play. Show us exactly what you're calling us to do. And God, in all of this, we just know that you're gonna do a work within us. We know that you're gonna teach us to trust you in ways that um, we didn't even know that we needed to learn. God, you're gonna challenge us. We know there will, be, there will be trouble that comes. God, we know opposition will come against our marriages, against our friendships. And God, we just claim today, God, that you are stronger than any force that might come against us. That your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And God, so we trust in the power of your spirit to empower us to do the things that you call us to do as we seek to be an Acts 1-8 family in a world desperately in need of your grace. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.